Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, July 19th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals today with the crew. Beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell break down the news of the past week. And of course, that means the 10 Royals players who were not vaccinated for COVID and therefore could not make the trip to Toronto. Lynn was there and described the clubhouse and leads a discussion on how this will impact the Royals going forward. After a break, we talk about the Major League Draft. After two rounds, the Royals went with all college players, and we talk about how close some of them are to the majors. The show started as a Sports Beat Live. Let's get started. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly chat session, sometimes therapy session, about the Kansas City Royals. And uh, we are sponsored by the University of Kansas Health System. And we're joined by people who know the team the best. That's beat writer Lynn Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, and Sam McDowell, star columnists. And we've got uh, we got a lot to talk about. This is the first time I believe we have all been in the same picture in about a month or so. So it's it's good to see everybody. And it's All Star break, of course, for baseball. But uh, but this group not taking a break. We got to, we got to plow through on several topics. Uh, and we'll do that right now. And we hope to do them with you. Send us your questions and comments, and uh, we'll try to get to all of them. Guys, um, how are we doing? Everybody good? Great, Blair. That's great. That, that's good. Yeah, I know. Listen, I, we're all muted, so when I throw out sort of that uh, that anybody can answer question, there's that yeah, kind of hesitation. Should I go? Should I stay? <laughs> I did not expect Tony the Tiger, though. <laughs> no, I Sam McDowell always tells me to stay muted even when I'm trying to say something. So I, I, I got to work the key pretty hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, did uh, maybe maybe by a nod or um, you know, yes or no. Did everybody watch the home run derby last night? I see a no. I see a no. I, I had it on. I wasn't paying much attention to it. Uh, uh, it was fun last year with Salvador Perez, but uh, Juan Soto, of course, won it last night with perhaps uh, a ball that did not clear the fence on the fly. It may have bounced on the warning track and got over. We're still, uh, I guess, people are still trying to sift through all that. But, uh, uh, but anyway, hey, uh, uh, the Royals stumble into the All Star break at. 36 and 56. I, I believe 20, 20 below 500 is is their season worst or matches their season worst. I don't think they've been beyond that. But quite, uh, quite an eventful weekend in Toronto, the, the final series before the All-Star break. And Lynn Worthy, you were there. Uh, I know this this all happened last Thursday, the situation that created the um, – the, 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 you know, the conditions uh, that uh, the Royals played with in Toronto, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it. So let me set it up quickly. And then I just want to get your thought on sort of the mood swing of the team uh, after it was announced that 10 players would not be making the trip to Canada because of the, the, the that nation's vaccination policy. So the Royals uh, put together uh, a roster and a lineup that included so many from uh, from AAA Omaha and even uh, even called up a there was double A players as well and maybe I'm wrong about that maybe they're all just Omaha players but uh, 
But then they turn around and win the first game uh, against a Toronto team that is just stacked with their lineup. And, and the Royals won that game three to one on, I guess it was, was a Thursday night and proceeded to lose the next three. So they dropped three out of four. But um, but yeah, Lynn, just you were there. Why don't you take us through, uh, you know, just the feeling uh, of, of the team, the mood of the team from, you know, we, but getting to Toronto and then being there, and especially uh, after the game that first night. Okay. Um, well, and there were double-A players um, called you. up as well, too, just to um, be sure. And I'm myself just happy that I got back from Toronto because that was a little bit longer of a trip than I expected. But, hey, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the I think the, the overall tenor, especially that first day in Toronto, it was clear that everybody who was in Toronto was – um, trying to put that spin on it that, you know, they were excited about the young players and guys getting their first chance in the major leagues. 100% that was Mike Matheny's thought. And, you know, you, you asked about the vaccination and the clubhouse and the other stuff, and he kept coming back to the young guys. And um, it just excited to see these young guys. And, I mean, and, and, and in fairness, there were some guys that we hadn't seen in the big leagues. So you're talking about Nick Prado. You're talking about Michael Massey. You're talking about uh, Nate Eaton. Like, and, and Eaton's probably not as it was clearly wasn't as high rated a prospect. I think in their Baseball America, I think he's in the 20s or something like that. But Prado and Massey and some of these guys are people that people who follow the Royals had heard about for a while and hadn't seen them in the big leagues and might not have seen them at all unless you went to AAA Omaha or AA to see him play. Um, so there was that was sort of the tenor was like you know. You're going to see these guys, these young guys, and we'll see the youth movement. And, you know, there's a segment of the fan base that's been like, all right, ship out all these other guys, the, the veterans, and just go young all the way. So this was your little taste of that. Um, at the same time, you know, that was probably within. Surrounding them was the was the, the attitude that, you know, they got a triple-A, double-A lineup. There's no chance in this series. They're going to come in there and – and get, you know, um, railroaded, you know, by Toronto, a playoff squad. And, you know, this could be ugly. So I think it was really two different sort of attitudes. There was the internal one. And then outside it was like, you know, and I think, you know, I, I know I, I mentioned in one of the um, stories written afterwards was, you know, uh, in Major League Baseball this year, that was the biggest underdog in a single game um, in baseball this season was the Royals actually winning that first game. Like that was, you know, you made some money if you bet on that one. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry to Blair. I just I had a question for Lynn because you mentioned just kind of the comments that Mike Matheny made, and I think he would make those comments regardless that there's excitement about the young players. But the rest of us who watched on TV, it looked like there was a genuine different feel to those games in terms of excitement, just in the handshake lines and the dugouts. And I'm wondering your perspective on that from going through the clubhouse, if you notice like a, a different energy in there from uh, with the new guys there. Definitely. Especially that, I mean, obviously a day that you win, it's going to be really evident on the day that they win that first game. I mean, that, that post game clubhouse, that first day was definitely um, like, it was, uh, I think I, I mentioned it in the story, just the, it seemed like it was infectious. Like, I mean, even Mike Matheny afterwards in post game, you know, who's super intense, like couldn't help smiling, talking about just the way they played. But before that game, I think there was a bit of it. I mean, like I say, after a win, it's clearly going to be different. But I think before that game, there was just sort of that, um, I don't know if it was nervous energy, because like I say, some of these guys hadn't been there before. You got guys like um, 
Freddie Fermin, who hadn't been in the big leagues ever before. He'd been on the taxi squad, but to be actually have a big league jersey and to be on the big league roster, that was a huge thing for him. A guy like Michael Massey, who, um, you know, hadn't been, he just got to AAA this year, and now all of a sudden he's in the big leagues playing. Um, Prado, who'd been talked about for so long and had been so close, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, he's in the lineup for his first big league game as soon as he gets called up. Um, so, uh, you know, Nate Eaton, again, a guy who maybe probably is under the radar as far as their their prospects rankings, but um, is out there and is playing, you know, from the jump in center field. So I think there was definitely, you know, whether you want to call it, like I say, that nervous energy, there was some excitement, there was a buzz. And also the fact that a lot of these guys have played together. I think that's another big part of it is those guys had come up together. So the guy, the young guys were already here, like um, – like Bobby Witt Jr., like so I talked to some of those guys the first day, and I think I said something to him like, you know, I said, "Was this like a reunion for you?" And he was like, "It kind of feels like last year in Omaha." So I think that's part of it too. Yeah, and Eaton had the home run, uh, and his first major league hit was that home run on Thursday that gave the Royals a little bit of a cushion in that in in that victory. So um, it was it, it absolutely was fun to watch that game, but. Now we've got to deal with the aftermath of all this, um, and and Matt has asked a couple questions that are you know get, kind of get right to the point and and what um, uh, what do we think about the uh, the odds of, of Mirafield being traded uh, after this? Of course, he was one of the ten, and so you know and I'll, I'll we'll go down the list quickly: Hunter Dozier, uh, Michael E. Taylor, Kyle Isbell, Andrew Benintendi, Cam Gallagher, M.J. Melendez, Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Dylan Coleman were the 10 players that could not make the trip to Toronto. And, um, and, and so maybe we'll start there and get to another a couple of his, of his uh, points uh, in, in a moment. But does this become uh, a trade accelerant, uh, Vahe, for, for players that, uh, that didn't make the trip? And do we how, how do we feel about those players now than we did uh, before the news came out? Well, that's an interesting question. And, and I think, I don't know if this was the case for you guys, but it, it, it certainly, even as a, a writer trying to uh, examine the situation, it felt a little emotional to me, in the, especially in the first, first day. And I think when you step away and take a more measured look at what to do here now, I think you, you have to remember that the, the Royals have to employ logic with all this. I mean, there's so many elements to this whole thing and, the fact that it's 10 is what I think was so striking, right? I mean, I'm probably overstating the obvious, but if it were four guys, I don't think it would have been at all uh, the storm that it, that it became. It, it just affects so many different things when it's that many. And it affects, I think, perception of um, the sense of the clubhouse. At least it affects it in my mind. So you've got that dynamic, but you've also got – uh, the very real point here that the, the Royals uh, have several older guys that could be appealing to other teams that probably aren't really going to be here for the core of this this time we've been waiting for, for them to turn the switch and be in contention again. So I think you have to ask yourself how that fits, who needs to be moved to make room for some of these younger guys. Personally, I, I believe we'll see a couple of these younger guys back up here within a few weeks. And I uh, would not at all be surprised to see Whit Merrifield traded here soon. I think, to use your word, Blair, the accelerant, um, I think that 
you can't dismiss that as perhaps being part of the equation simply because of the terminology he used about considering maybe getting vaccinated if he were playing for a contender. Now we can all think what we want to about, you know, how that fits in the clubhouse, all this and that, but one way or another, it seems to be saying, I want to play for a contender. I mean, and, and I think, I think, I don't want to put words in Lynn or Sam's mouth, but I think from following Witt over the years, uh, we all understand he burns to win. And one of the, you know, sort of sad twists to his time with the Royals is as, as good a player as he's been, the Royals have not been any good since he's been playing for them. And at age, I think he's 33 now, uh, his his window of opportunity to, to play for a championship is pretty tight. Uh, been a decade since he uh, had the winning run, I guess, in the College World Series, wasn't it, Blair? Yeah, uh, yeah, more than a decade. 20, I more than a decade, 20, yeah. 20, 2010, I think. Yeah, it wasn't 12, it was 10, you're right. So, Anyway, uh, long-winded as ever, but uh, I'd be very interested to hear what the other guys say about this point. Well, if I could just interject for a second, I want to point out that Vahe seems to be intent on interjecting logic and reason. I want him off this show. <laughs> I never, never, never a good recipe for. Uh... <laughs> okay. I, I mean, my my take on it is that. Whit Merrifield separated himself from the other nine with those comments that he would do. He would go to a certain level for another team that he wouldn't go to the one that's paying him now. Um, I think that's an untenable situation. And so I do think Whit Merrifield's going to be traded before the de- deadline. Um, and I don't know that it's purely because of his comments. Uh, I, I, I certainly know it's not purely because he didn't get vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a situation they should have already been looking to trade with Merrifield. I do think the the Royals, his uh, decline is outpacing the Royals' rebuild. And it doesn't make sense to have a guy like that on your roster baseball-wise. But once he made those comments that he would be willing to get vaccinated for another team and he's not willing to get vaccinated for this one, I don't see how you can keep a guy like that around in your clubhouse. Um you know, I mean, he's specifically telling you that he's willing to give more to somebody else. And so I, I, I think those comments also illustrated that Whit Merrifield is sort of broadcasting to the rest of the teams. Hey, I might have created this problem here, but I won't create that problem for you guys. I, I think it indicated that he's not only willing to get traded, but perhaps wants to be traded. Um, that's the way I read into those. And I, I know that he went on 610. Uh, radio and said, you know, he didn't want that to be interpreted that he doesn't like Kansas City. I never interpreted that as with Merrifield hating Kansas City. I interpreted he's tired of losing. And this team is continuing to lose. And I, I interpreted it as, as he no longer wants to be part of that, that environment. And that's why he would be willing to do more if he's on a team that that's reaching the playoffs. So I view his situation as separate than the other nine. And to be clear, I view the other nine as a selfish situation. I have not heard a good reason from any of them not to be vaccinated. They left all their teammates behind. They left them shorthanded up in Toronto. Um, and to answer another question we had in the comments, yes. I mean, I, I did talk to a couple of players, you know, that of course didn't want to be quoted on something like this, but they were pissed off. And they illustrated that to um, coaching uh, over the past few weeks when it became known that they were going to be shorthanded. Guys that went and did 
the bare minimum to play, knowing some of their teammates did not. Now, does that mean it's going to create this, you know, uh, environment in the clubhouse that, you know, these guys aren't going to get along? I, I don't think so. I mean, baseball has by its nature, this melting pot of different cultures, different backgrounds, different sorts of people, and they all get along. Um, so I do think that situation is going to resolve itself, but it doesn't, I mean, we all get ticked off at our friends sometimes. And I think that's the situation here is you got guys that are ticked off by decisions that, you know, they feel like some of their friends made this weekend not to join them in Toronto. And I think I would just, um, you know, and it's a small, I guess, maybe semi-distinction. Um, when you say he would do more for another team, I also think he would do more for this team if they were in the playoffs. So I think yeah, it's, it's not just the, you know, yeah. like if this team was in the playoffs or this team was fighting for the playoffs and that vaccine meant him being able to play in those games in Toronto, then I think, that would that's also part of what he was saying when he said, okay, then there would be a different consideration. So I don't think it's just a, okay, if I'm somewhere else, yeah, I'd take it. It's if we were winning here, I'd take it. I think is sort of the idea of what Witt was trying to get across um, in the, you know, the comments on, uh, I guess that would have been Wednesday and then also in the follow-up on 610. Um, but as far as the clubhouse thing, I mean, the more I think about it, I mean, and, and Sam talked about this too, is, just in baseball, I mean, the different types of things that you see, you know, teams go through, whether that's guys getting off the field trouble, whether that's, you know, this is going back years and this isn't necessarily a Royals thing, but I mean, just in baseball in general, whether it's guys getting accused of PEDs, whether it's guys, you know, cheating scandals, and then you get guys from other teams embracing those guys or those guys going to other teams. I mean, the baseball clubhouse better or worse, is forgiving of a lot of things. So I don't think that, you know, guys not playing in four games is going to, um, you know, bring down the the entire Royals organization. Um, is there maybe some fence mending that has to be done? Possibly. And then also, you know, just talking to guys. And one of the other things that was mentioned, you know, by Matheny and by others was that while this became a story or, you know, became known to us last week, these guys have known this about these guys, you know, who weren't going to be able to play. So it wasn't like they were just all of a sudden found out last week. So maybe some of this has already taken place as far as, you know, trying to mend some fences. I mean, sure, it's probably still a little raw because the, the games just happened and the trip just happened. And so whether there was some fence mending ahead of time that still needs to be done because, you know, once you actually go play, it brings it back up. Um, but I don't think it's something where everything collapses now. Quick thoughts. One of the interesting points I heard uh, during this uh, during the series was, uh, you know, if you're a, 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 another team in the AL East, which, by the way, everybody's 500 or better. So they're all playoff contenders. You're pretty ticked off at the Royals for, you know, basically giving Toronto, a, uh, you know, the, the type of team that that you brought there, you know, uh, the, the Royals are not down 10 going to you know, New York or Boston or Baltimore or, um, or Tampa Bay. So uh, it's almost like the argument you hear in the NFL about resting starters in the 17th, you know, in the final game of the season. So I'll also be interested to see what the reaction is to players when the Royals re re you know, return to the schedule, I believe on at home on Friday. Is that right? Or at home Friday. So, okay. Hey, let's take a break here and hear from the University of Kansas Health System. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. 
we were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the E-Edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Back on Sportsbeat KC, talking Royals with columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell, beat writer Lynn Worthy, and with you. Um, keep those questions and comments coming, and we'll, we will uh, be part of the conversation with us. Um, so to shift a little bit from from uh, past tense to uh, present tense, uh, the Major League Baseball draft is happening right now. Uh, there are two days of the draft are complete. Third day is today. Is it? Uh, this, it, it, it may be going on now. Has it started in the third round? No, not not yet. Okay, but not they, yet. They got a lot of ground to cover today, right? They've uh, the, the rest of the draft basically uh, after uh, 10, 10 rounds the first two days. Royals went uh, uh, went position players with their first two picks. Gavin Cross, an outfielder from Virginia Tech, with the ninth pick. Caden Williams, third baseman from Arkansas, with the 49th pick. They followed that up with a with, with a second day going heavy on on college pitchers. But uh, what's what's the uh, what's the instant reaction, Lynn, from uh, from the the draft so far, especially the first day uh, selections? I think the the big thing that jumps out to people is just the fact that they went with all college players for the first 10 picks, which is only the second time they've ever done that. Um, and talking to a scouting director, Danny Oliveros, yesterday, like, you know, I mean, on the surface, you say, OK, well, last year they went with, you know, three of their first four picks were high school players, uh, including two high school pitchers, including two, including two local guys with Ben Kudena and um, Carter Jensen. So you, you had a lot of high school at the top there. Um, and this year you see all college and it's like, okay, well, what was the shift? What, what, what was the, was there something that you guys, you know, didn't like, was it just a more of a, um, you see a, an emphasis on this because you guys need guys are going to move faster. Or is this one of those things where, you know, now with the, the smaller minor leagues, this is, oh, we got to get guys who are closer to the majors. And Danny Oliveros was just sort of like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't really any of that. It was combination of like they felt like the college hitters especially at the top was where the strength of the draft was and that's where they needed to go and then also the other thing that i found interesting was he talked about you know um them trading that comp uh the competitive balance round pick um changing some of the calculus as far as the money because one of the things they did last year with the high school guys was they you know their first pick uh um, frankie mazzucato signed for under slot value they used that money to make sure that those high school guys who had the leverage of college signed now when you take that competitive balance round pick out which is about 2.2 million dollars you know 
you, it, it, there's there's a real issue with signability when it comes to high school guys who have that leverage of going to college. So um, college guys don't really have as much of a leverage there. Um, so maybe it's more straightforward with the college guys. You, you pick them at a spot, sign them for slot. And this is me adding into it now. But like, you know, that that seems more straightforward to as opposed to where you got high school guys can say, hey, I'll just go to college and come out and be an even uh, higher round pick and get more money. Um, so that I think was also part of um, the calculus here too, is, you know, not having that pick, you know, makes it a little bit harder to, you don't have the flexibility that they've had last year when, when they went with the high school guys early. The uh, baseball draft so much different than the other sports, right? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were all you know, kind of wondering where Ochai Abaji was going to go and, uh, and wondering if, if he and Christian Brown, his teammate at KU were, you know, going to, uh, you know, where, where they would fit in on their teams right away, right? Uh, that's there, there is no minor league, uh, real no minor league system for, for basketball the way there is for baseball. And then, of course, with the Chiefs, you know, we're, we're plugging in rookies right away here, aren't we? Uh, George Karloftis and Trent McDuffie and um, Brian Cook. I mean, just name them. I, how many, three, four rookies are going to start for the Chiefs this year? And in baseball, uh, years away. Uh, the, the 2018 class is an exception, of course, with the, the pitching that included Brady Singer and Jackson Coe and others, but um, you know, they, they got to the major leagues earlier than most. But this is, baseball's just a completely different animal when it comes to the draft. Yeah, I do think that um, specifically Cross could rise a little bit faster than the average prospect. You know, I do think he's a guy that you could potentially see in like maybe 2024. Um, but you know, I, I was, I was, I, I guess I should say pleased to, to see them take college hitters. Um, I think it's the safest commodity in, in the draft. I mean, obviously pitching is harder to develop guys have injuries. Um, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong with the pitcher and no organization should know that better than this one. Um, but also I, I do think. I was interested in the answer that, that Danny gave, and I think it was Lynn that asked the question on the Zoom call that, that he had, he's already mentioned the answer to, which is why did you target college hitters? Um, and he did say it was because that was the strength of this draft. It just so happens to kind of fit neatly into the group that they have, though. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the timeline when I mentioned, you know, that potentially Gavin Cross we could see in 2024. That's kind of the timeline of when – I think a lot of us think that this lineup should be coming together. You know, that they there's guys that should have had enough at bats at the big leagues by then that we should know what kind of hitters they are in 2024. When you talk about the guys we saw this weekend with Nate Eaton and Michael Massey and Nick Prado, you add Benny Pascantino into that, MJ Melendez, Bobby Witt. And I, I think you, you could see that group come together. And it's kind of nice that the first two picks that they, they made in this particular draft – could be part of that core now and you know you're not waiting on them lagging behind over the next you know few years or so uh well i want to ask the man of reason and logic um <laughs> Vahe, uh so did the events in toronto uh and, and the fact that they played so many young guys uh does that uh, do, do you should the royals you know Get a get a stronger look uh, uh, with a longer look at at you know Nick Prado, Nate Eaton, uh, Michael Massey. Is that um, is is that maybe do they um, 
uh, I, I don't know if, they, if this is changing the, the plan or the course of this season, but it's been changed for them, hasn't it, with, with the, what happened last yeah, week? Yeah, that's well said, Blair, and I think that's a, the really interesting part of this. It's been changed for them. It's not a perfect parallel, but it reminds me a little bit of the MJ Melendez situation. Um, you know, it, in in sort of the ideal incubator or however you put it, they 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 wanted to wait longer on him, but circumstances with the injuries made it so they brought him up at a time he wasn't hitting well in the minor leagues. Now, that again, the parallels aren't the same, but it we need to realize obviously this was a very small snapshot of what what. Eaton and Massey and, and uh, Prado can do specifically just to talk about those three. But to me, it they obviously weren't overmatched. And it, again, it's a small snapshot. Uh, it doesn't preclude them coming up and going over 30. But there was something about the overall dynamics of it in the context of why they were there that makes me feel like they need to accelerate their timetable a little bit it doesn't mean necessarily that, that we're going to see them next week, but but I, I'd be surprised if we don't see at least a couple of them in, in early August. And, of course, that would be after a couple spots presumably are opened up by trades the Royals make. So I think that's uh, the hinge of all this right now. And I I do – I don't – we don't know what it's like to be in the Royals' war room, especially because they're talking about draft stuff a lot. But I guarantee you they're examining this situation – and they have, I think, a different sense of data points here after last weekend. All right, you guys. Uh, great conversation. I'll leave you with this stat. Uh, just scribbled it together uh, before we, we went on the air. Uh, the Royals, like I said, 36 and 56, uh, starting the second half of the season. They're 18 and 20 against the AL Central and 18 and 36 against everybody else in baseball. So, uh, yeah, it's good that they play more central teams than, than anybody else in baseball. I'll, I'll leave you with another stat that um, if they're, if you want to see a, an example of a team that knows how to turn it around, check out the Baltimore Orioles. Forty, I think uh, 46 and 46 heading into the break. This team won 52 games last year, 52 and 110. So um, congratulations to the Orioles for at least appearing to be on the right track. That's for sure. Okay. For, for Vahe, Sam, and Lynn, and to our producer, Monty Davis, uh, thank you very much. Thanks to all you guys for, for writing in. That was a great conversation led by you all today. So thanks a lot, and we will talk to you again this time next week. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Monty Davis for putting together the podcast and the live stream, and to our Sportsbeat KC staff of Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy, Sam McDowell, and Vahe Gregorian for sharing their insights. Today's Morning Sports Edition had complete coverage of the Home Run Derby, SEC Media Days, and much more. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC.